Welcome back, my dearest friend. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy, hectic, chaotic, and busy day and devoting your precious time to the listening of my words digitized and sent across a vast network and coming out of your speakers directly into your ears. I do not take this privilege lightly and henceforth I shall get straight to the point. This episode is dedicated to some of my ponderings regarding life path and life career and general life satisfaction. Now I must admit, this is my second attempt at recording this episode, since while in the middle of reviewing the previous recording, I received a phone call from a dear friend giving me a review of my non-transactional love episode. And we incidentally had a conversation about the very topic that I will be discussing in this second attempt of a podcast recording. Now, there's so many things to address. So I'll take it upon myself to begin with the topic or the aspect or rather the concept or idiom of jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Now, if you're anything like me and you are easily excited by the prospect of developing a new skill set in a brand new field in which you're able to express yourself creatively through the medium in that field, then you will have also experienced possibly a frustration that you do not see these pursuits to their ends and begin more adventures than you complete. And if that's also true, you may have also heard the phrase that I had just mentioned. Now for me, and perhaps for many others, this phrase carries with it a negative connotation associated with the aforementioned jack-of-all-trades. Since he is lacking mastery, as insinuated by the second half of the idiom. And in many cultures, especially industrialized cultures, and especially in a hyper-capitalistic driven culture like the United States, for one to be productive and a contributing member of society is of the utmost value. And having 
grown up in a hardworking, traditional, conservative household, I had developed these values as well. And as perhaps intended, or perhaps as an unintended consequence, it comes with it an internal non-stop drill sergeant giving out marching orders to stay productive, to stay busy, and to generate revenue. And if you haven't had that experience, then perhaps this episode's not for you, but perhaps it is. Maybe you can learn about what it's like to have this type of drill sergeant. Now, if you happen to be one of these people who does have this voice in your head, I would wonder what types of emotions do you attach with that voice? Now, if you're wondering what voice would that be? Well, let me give you an example. In my current career, I'm given an extended break uh, of paid leave. And I also have the privilege of working remotely from the comfort of wherever I choose. And in those times in which very little, if anything, is expected of me by others, I'm easily persuaded or drift, I easily drift into a state of, perhaps you could call it apathy, or laziness, or ongoing relaxation, in which very little is accomplished with regards to being industrious, or creating some sort of medium. And when that happens, that is when the drill sergeant comes out. And what are some examples of things that the drill sergeant might say? Well, he could say something like, you're going to let the day waste away, but perhaps wouldn't say it in such a sing-songy way. In any case, I value this chilled out tone voice over a more accurate impersonation of this voice. He may also say something like, remember those things you wanted to do? Now is your chance to do it. Why aren't you doing it? You should be doing it. What are you doing now? You're doing nothing. Do something. Imagine what it would be like. Now this voice, I think, can be rather neutral. And it's on the perception, it's on the end of the perceiver that determines whether this voice is antagonistic or an accomplice. And perhaps it's not this voice 
that is the enemy. But the perception of the voice. Now, in my particular case, my perception is that of inadequacy, fear, frustration, self-doubt, self-belittlement, and I think I can't do it. I'm not capable of doing it. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I know I've heard similar thoughts expressed and described by some of my closer friends. Now, what can we do as an alternative to living in a constant reactive state to these thoughts and feelings? Well, let me tell you about where my viewpoint has transitioned to in my later years, in these later years of my life. <sighs> I've done a fair amount of self-exploration I've participated in a fair amount of self-development courses and meditation courses, and I've read my fair share of self-quote, self-help books, motivational books, and listened to talks on productivity and life hacks and so forth. I happen to be a big fan of Tim Ferriss. And in having ingested this information and having done my best to act upon it and put it into practice, here are some paramount items that have surfaced consistently for me. One is that it's more important, well, no, let me say it in a more neutral way. Rather than thinking about what I want to have accomplished, I think about how do I want to feel throughout my life? What is the state of being that I want to be generating throughout my life and the state of being that I want to be shining on others? What kind of influence do I want to have on others in terms of state of being? And if you're not familiar with the term and the associated Venn diagram of Ikigai, this is a Japanese mental model in determining what one's life purpose is. And I encourage you to look it up on Google Image. And this is just from memory. But essentially, you have four overlapping circles. One circle is what I love. One is what I can make money doing. One is what the world needs. And one is what 
Oh, shoot. I've forgotten it. Well, each of these circles overlaps their neighboring circles, and in the intersections of these circles, it states another thing, such as, what is your career or vocation? What is your... Oh my goodness, I'm doing a terrible job. Please forgive me. Please resort to Google. I'm merely a reference point. Anywho, I've looked at this and I've done it several times. And what comes up over and over is I want to empower others and I want to be empowered to live an exciting, fulfilling, satisfying life. And that is the end. And how I go about doing that are the means. And when I think about long-term decision-making, I think about Elon Musk, who, whom was once referred to as having said that every decision he makes is on the basis of whether or not it would put humanity closer to being on Mars or not. Now that's some long-term thinking. And for my long-term thinking, and I think perhaps I've borrowed this from Elon Musk as well, uh, he is concerned with prolonging life on Earth for as long as possible. Now, I don't make the specification of whether or not that is human or not. It could be any life form. It could even be bacteria. And from previous conversations with my family, we've discussed that we are currently, and Greta Thunberg has mentioned this as well, we are in our the seventh the process of the seventh mass extinction of Earth. Now, you may be wondering, or perhaps not, perhaps you already know the answer to this. If there have been six other extinctions, why is Earth teeming with life still? Well, life sure is persistent, which is why I don't think we will ever fully wipe out life on Earth. There are trillions of insects all over the earth. In fact, I've heard within a square kilometer, there are more insects than there are humans on earth. I've seen fish swimming around in highly acidic waters in deep caves. There are deep, deep sea creatures that live under thousands of kilos of pressure with virtually no sunlight in freezing temperatures and are abounding and humanity has already figured out how to farm we've already created a Noah's Ark of sorts of seeds and DNA samples in the Arctic and we've explored every corner of the earth and we can even code DNA. 
So I don't think humanity will ever be fully wiped out. And perhaps the other species will never fully be wiped out. However, we are on course for a disastrous worldwide ecological meltdown. Now, this seems like quite the tangent from talking about career. But when I think of life from that perspective and postponing this world or perhaps even preventing this full world meltdown, that has a huge impact on the way I live my life. I have a higher concern for how much electricity I consume. I'm concerned about how much garbage I produce or how much packaging, how many packaged products I purchase or how often I drive or how many flights I take or how often I purchase new clothing or if I purchase meat or not. I don't. Or if I purchase any other animal products. I don't. Because all of those things contribute in my own small way towards this meltdown. Now, it's almost like spinning plates. That's one plate I'm spinning. Another plate is having a loving, exciting, fulfilled life. Well, from many studies that have been done on this subject, a very common conclusion is that happiness comes from authentic relationships and human connections and physical contact and giving and receiving love and stress management, getting enough sleep, eating unprocessed plant-based foods, exercising regularly, finding a hobby that you enjoy. Those are some of the main ones. And so since those things have been highlighted, then those then become my methods by which I achieve my goal of happiness. And then I share those ideas with others through my words and through demonstrating them in my own life. Minimalism is a, you could say, almost a pseudo-religion for me. I strive to extract the maximum benefit from the minimum amount of resources. And that includes my own personal resources, whether that's my thoughts or my energy or uh, my attention. So, moving on to career and jack of all trades. I've identified that in the past, I have attempted the more action-based lifestyle drive in which 
my goals were oriented around achievements, such as achieving a certain income, or purchasing a certain vehicle, or creating a company that ran on its own. Now, those are still goals of mine. However, I've gained the recognition that they in themselves do not possess the key to happiness. However, in attempting to achieve these goals, I am required to develop the type of mindset and skills and connections and acquire knowledge in order to be the type of person that is capable of achieving those goals. Now, I've found over the years that a major hindrance to me doing what I say that I want to do is, you could say, lack of motivation or giving up when things don't work out. And I'm finding more and more that this so-called giving up or lack of motivation has much more to do with internal dialogues and meanings associated with my actions with relation to my self-worth. Now, if I can get under the hood and I can address these core issues rather than trying harder, then I can compare that to, let's say for example, you have an automobile stuck in the mud and you're pressing the gas pedal and the tires spin, flinging mud in every direction. Now, if you were to try harder in this instance by pushing harder on the gas, the car will only sink deeper into the mud. So, a more effective solution to the situation would be to perhaps find some gravel or kitty litter or to attach a rope and tow it out or put a board under it. So these are the types of solutions I'm seeking for my own life. And it sort of has a cascading effect. When you find the solution to one issue, you then find that there are many more issues required to solve in order to solve the bigger issue. And further down it branches like a tree trunk down to the fine narrow branches that small birds perch on. So, one of these solutions I found is simply to be satisfied with who I am and tying it back to the earlier idiom being okay to be a jack of all trades. So I allow myself to start many projects. I allow myself to stop them 
when I find that it's no longer intriguing or enjoyable, and I allow myself to continue being in a state of discovery. Because, thankfully, humanity is made up of a very, very diverse gene pool when it comes to personality types and motivations. There is an abundance of people that are satisfied to clock in and do meaningless, tedious, boring, thoughtless work so that they can go on and do other things they want to do. There are other people who are absolutely driven to produce as much as they possibly can. There are those who are absolutely driven to perfect their particular craft. There are some who are absolutely driven to discover something or to solve a particular problem or to gain power or to gain popularity or to be more efficient. There is no shortage of these people. However, what's needed in a society is also people who understand a very broad field of skills and have a very broad interconnected network of sets of knowledge so that they might act as a guide or a bridge or a consultant or a leader. They can see the big picture. They may not necessarily know everything there is to know about one particular topic. And they don't have to because they have access to those people who do. So giving one another example of Elon Musk, I've been told that he will sometimes approach one of his employees at SpaceX or Tesla Motors or one of his many other companies, and he will ask them many, many questions and grill them about what it is they do and how they do it. Not so much to find out if that employee really knows what they're doing, but rather so that he can understand it for himself. And I've been told that this mental model is the T model of knowledge or skill. T being made up of a horizontal line representing the broader knowledge. So for instance, he's involved in AI, in uh, brain computer interfaces, in satellite networks, in electric motors, in rocket technology. He has a very broad understanding, and yet he also has a hyper-focused set of knowledge in many topics as well. So, obviously, <laughs> I don't see myself getting anywhere near the level of success of Elon Musk. He's definitely one in several billion, in my opinion. And yet, I absolutely feel like I can follow in his footsteps in that methodology.
And I can be okay with that. And I, like Ikigai might suggest, can find a way to monetize this methodology in order to fund my survival. So ultimately, I ask myself, what do I want? And like I stated earlier, I want, well, I I mentioned what I wanted to do, but what do I want to experience and be and feel? Well, I want to experience ease and relaxation and joy and pleasure and the awe of discovery and the deep fruits of connections with my fellow humans and other creatures. So does that require a degree? Does that require six figures? Does that require a large house? Absolutely not. This can be achieved in prison. I can make close friendships with my cellmates and with the prison guards. And I can take the time in my cell to meditate and to read and to do pull-ups and push-ups and exercise. I can enjoy the routine that so many people wish that they had in their lives. In fact, people like Steve Jobs would often remove or simplify as many decisions as possible in order to give the maximum decision-making power to the things that really mattered. So once we really dive down deep into our souls and we discover that which we truly want, the thing that truly pulls our hearts forward, the thing that truly brings us joy and fulfillment, once we identify those things, we can then begin to align our actions and determine what hiccups or roadblocks or breakdowns might come up along the way that prevent us from having that. And in so solving these problems or breakdowns, we are sanctified in our self-actualization. It has been my absolute pleasure to speak to you and to create this recording. I hope that it brings you value and I hope it inspires you to live your finest, most beautiful life. I love you.